Hello, welcome to the Keswick Convention podcast. I'm one of your hosts, I'm Rachel Redeemed, and we are also joined by my fellow co-host, James Carey. Hello, James. Hello, Rachel. What do you have for us this week? Well, we are continuing to dive into the theme of the Keswick Convention this year on the theme of gratefulness. And specifically this week, it is on being grateful for past battles. Wow, okay. Sounds like we're going deep. Yeah, I think this is this is quite an intense one. I think this is good. We need to think these things through. Uh, but yes, buckle in. Sounds great. Let's get into it. We're starting with a conversation I had with Niv Lobo, and then we jump into another conversation I had with retired psychiatrist Glyn Harrison. But we'll kick off with what Niv has to share with us, and I'll let him introduce himself. I'm Niv, and I am married to Lucy. We have a little girl called Raffaella, and currently we also have one more child in the womb. So not yet sure who they are, what they're like. God knows, but we don't yet. Uh, I'm based in Southampton. And I'm a curate in the Church of England at a church called Highfield. We've got the title of Grateful for Past Battles. Open question. Niv, what past battle are you most grateful for? Yes. Uh, well, actually, as I was thinking about this, I had to fight quite hard to think, what do we mean by past battle? And were we thinking about a really big picture thing, a battle perhaps fought before I ever was? Um, were we thinking about something more kind of rooted in my life? Um and it's quite tricky because actually I feel like while those things are very connected, they give you very different kinds of answers. Uh, yes, plenty. I do think we're coming up to April uh, this year and there's a sense in which for me, April is a very significant time because it's a time when 10 years ago, uh, this year actually, I lost a very close friend. And I think for me personally, one of the past battles I'm grateful for if we can define it as a battle, was basically my experience of grief at that moment, which has, I think, shaped me. I don't think it's, I don't think it's, yeah, I don't think it's clear that I'd had any meaningful suffering in my life up until that point, really. Very comfortable uh, upbringing, very loving family. And that was my first encounter with something that felt utterly wrong. Um, And with God allowing something, perhaps doing something that I couldn't understand or explain. I found that extremely difficult. Just a sense that in that friendship, it felt like there were lots of dangling threads, bits of unfinished business, even spiritually, which which I struggled with. So that was, that was a really difficult thing. I, I come back to that as I was thinking about this question and past battles, because I do think what the Lord helped me to see in that time though far from pleasant, was actually a big part of why I do what I do now, I think. Realising that in losing this dear friend, Rebecca, I had lost something extremely precious. I had lost a friendship with someone of incredible dignity and value because she was made in God's image. And as much as losing her really hurt, at the same time, the loss forced me to see that the only good way to think about her was was gift. Um, I'd, I'd been a bit of an atheist as a teenager and definitely not believed in big spiritual realities, much less Christian ones, um, even though I'd been raised in a really loving 
Roman Catholic home, actually. Um, but I think I hadn't realised up until that moment that deep down I did think that a lot of reality was just a bit of an accident. And actually, Rebecca's death forced me to ask, was she more than an accident? And to realise that nothing about how we treated her, uh, nothing about how she struck us, felt like an accident felt like a gift and of course the thing about gifts is they don't come from nowhere they come from a giver uh, so that that was big I think it changed how I view friendships and, and life and I think it also made me realize the preciousness of human beings not just in the abstract but to God who made us and in Christ is remaking us and claims each one of us to come to know him and so the desire to make Jesus known I think flowed from that in a very real way. I think I'd always been up for doing some kind of ministry thing, but I think I'd also had lots of people say things like, you know, go do a secular job first, you know, go go do something else, like tick all your boxes before you do this, or go get some kind of real world, world experience before you do this. <laughs> and I just thought after this experience, but I could die in two years. What's the point of having a ridiculous game plan of, uh, oh, I'll do this and then we'll see. Um, now, that's not to say that all of us should approach things with that kind of urgency but I do think that landed for me very heavily. How do you think you're approaching that now? Yeah well coming up to the 10-year anniversary is a very a very challenging thing because I think one of the things about grief is you feel yourself losing touch with the person you actually knew. People say time is a healer but time also brings you to forget and uh, there's no question that over time memory becomes less intense and less reliable and you start mourning the fact that you you feel like you've lost touch with the person there's a moment in augustine's confessions actually where quite elliptically he talks about the death of a of someone really close to him and he doesn't go into huge details it doesn't name the person but there is an amazing moment where i think he begins to see that the good that he's tracing in this friendship is found in god and he finds himself looking to God as the one in whom all good is found, from whom all good comes. Nothing holy without his holiness, nothing good without his goodness. And so I do think I'm, I'm trying to follow a bit that line Augustine was tracing between the good lost in a friend and the good found in God, which is why that friendship was so good. Um, Yes. So I think, I think, you know, in our grief, we often do things like look back over old messages, old letters, old pictures, and that's not wrong. But I think the extent to which they are a line stretching through that person, beyond that person, to the one from whom they came, that, that's a really important dimension too. And I think that's been heightened for me as the years go by. C.S. Lewis has this lovely phrase about tracing the sunbeam back to the sun. Mm. I think it's from his... Uh, Less Malcolm could be wrong, but I think that's that's a good description of that whole thing. Huge thanks to Niv for giving us that start of a ten on how that past battle of losing a friend has really shaped him, and we will come back to hear more from him. But we're going to jump into a conversation I had with Glyn Harrison. Glyn is a retired psychiatrist. He was an academic psychiatrist in Bristol before moving to London with his wife. And we will talk to him in a later episode about how we are actually grateful and live within our identity in Christ. 
But here I asked him if he feels grateful for some of the past battles we have had culturally. I, I guess I, I do feel grateful for some of the challenges we face in culture today in the sphere of identity and sexuality. Um, because I, I, I think what, and I often say this when, I, when I'm talking about this, we, we need to have a sense of gratitude to our culture because it confronts us Christians with our shame culture and our let's um, sweep this under the carpet culture and you know let's keep our smiley faces and all the wonderful my identity in Christ you know let's keep these these cliches um out there and and not do the deeper work underneath and I, I do think we should be grateful for the way this culture has said no 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 I'm afraid our sexuality is much bigger than something you can just never talk about in your churches or cover in shame and bring your kids up in silence and awkwardness um, no, it said that isn't good enough. So we, we, we've got some wild ideas out here um, that should wake you up. And um, they certainly are waking us up at the moment. And the big challenge now is not what we're against for us. What the world is saying to us is, but what are you for? And I'm so grateful that it's not let us off that hook and it's forcing us to rethink some of our most important doctrine around what it means to be human, to be made sexual, and to be made relational under God. Thank you to Glynn for that, and we'll hold that thought on cultural past battles and jump back into the conversation with Niv Lobo to hear what he says when I asked him about past battles in church history that we can be grateful for. Yeah, I mean, so in terms of past battles, I, I've, I've mentioned Augusta, there are so many figures in Christian history for whom I am grateful, um, not just in terms of big picture doctrines they got right, but also in terms of how they showed the real life blessing of these doctrines. I mentioned Augustine's Confessions. I would say, even if you don't consider yourself a big reader or someone who's interested in theology, even if you think I'm just not that person, which is fine, you don't have to be that person, not all of us do, you should still read Augustine's Confessions. It is dynamite. It's an absolutely extraordinary book because as well as talking about theology and all sorts of stuff, um, it is Augustine's account of a spiritual journey his journey to Jesus, having been involved in all sorts of messed up stuff. And I think, to be fair, something we would today call a cult uh, in terms of how Manichaeism worked. Um, so I definitely think that they're worth looking to because actually they show you the real life blessing of these things. Augustine will talk about grief. He'll talk about all sorts of things. He'll talk about his struggle uh, with sin and, and particularly sexual sin in ways that I find really liberating as someone who knows what it is to struggle with all kinds of sins. So I think definitely there's 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 joy and, and blessing in that. Um, yeah, I, I have to say, though, as well, though, I do think the doctrine stuff has been really enriching for me personally as well, because I think um, that the joy that we have in the laws 
is not sort of contentless joy. It's joy in who he is. And the more we know about who he is, it's been my experience that that joy is deepened, that joy is richer. Um, yeah, we're talking about, there's a, maybe an entirely inappropriate analogy, but, you know, we're talking about a baby we don't yet know in the womb. And I think back to my daughter when she was at that point. We had no idea. We didn't even know uh, her sex at that point. And we were so excited. And in the years since, she's coming up to two in, in um, June, just amazing to see a personality that we couldn't have predicted with similarities to her parents, very funny ones at times, but also just this sense of, of the unfolding mystery of who she is. Um, this is just an analogy, but there's a sense in which when I first said yes to Jesus, one of the things I said yes to is um, a God I knew was bigger than I could understand and was so amazed by. And in the years to come, I'm far from having gotten to the bottom of that because we never will. It will take all eternity to begin to begin to see that we don't really know uh, the depths of his glory. But in the years since, I've been so blessed to know him better. And I do think that that's one of those things that doctrine, which can feel like such dry words, does. It helps us know him better. Uh, and I think I, I mentioned Augustine. I think he's such a good example of someone for whom thinking about God and talking to God are basically the same thing. That's the other thing about the confessions. It, it's written as a prayer. It's in the second person. It's spoken to God. Uh, I love, I, I did a theology degree. I'm currently doing a master's. I love that stuff. I love that academic theology. I found it really enjoyable. Uh, but actually, when talking about God and thinking about God isn't translated as talking to God, we really miss something. But I think when it is, when our doctrine uh, is done kind of in the second person, then I think it, it opens a, a, a wellspring of, of deep praise and of real delight. And also the kind of substance that can be clung to in a crisis, uh, which, of course, modern life feels like is all about right now. It's crisis after crisis. Permacrisis, as I heard coined. Yes, indeed, indeed. Do you think a Christian from the past would have a comment for a permacrisis? I think they lived in permacrises, and I think they would be full of wisdom. We are not the first culture to think that everything is about to end. Uh, that's just, a, it seems to be a common feature in human history. You know, in the 19th century, they're thinking about solar death, the idea that the sun might die soon. I think Charles Dickens' Bleak House has a, it opens with that sense of, of gloom, um, you know, and, and, and so, so for instance, take climate change. I think that's a very real crisis and a very real threat. However, existentially, previous generations have known that dread, um, you know, Cuban Missile Crisis in the 60s, in living memory, for some of us, not, not me, uh, but also in the ancient world. And so I, I remember studying in the um, third and fourth centuries, particularly the third century, a, a Christian leader called Cyprian of Carthage. Again, not everything he says would be uh, stuff I'd agree with, just like I'm sure if he spoke to me, he'd think the same about me. Uh, but he actually was writing at a time when people thought that the world was decaying. Uh, it was a kind of borrowed thing from from paganism, that the idea of the senectus mundi, that the world grown old and weary and no longer um, vigorous and, and vital, this idea of decline. And he writes with real passion about how the gospel is the story of the opposite, a God who's brought life out of death in the resurrection, which means that now things are in one sense on the up. And for the church, we are on the up, not in a sort of out and out prosperity and nothing else way, but because we're taking up our cross. And I think that is a really wonderful perspective to have during 
a permacrisis, to know that this is actually how our family of faith have experienced life all across time, and actually most of them across space. You know, to be a Christian in a part of the world where you're persecuted for your faith is to live in a permacrisis. The fact that we are kind of late to this party doesn't mean it, it wasn't happening long before. And it doesn't mean there isn't a lot for us to, to learn from these brothers and sisters. I think, to be honest, just open the Psalter, read the book of Psalms and you will see prayers for, for permacrisis. And I think that's the point is that, you know, when Psalm 23, that incredibly rich and resonant psalm that we cling to and find so full of delight. David says, you will prepare this table in the presence of my enemies. Uh, this sense that until, well, certainly until Christ returns uh, in, in power to judge the living and the dead, all of our celebration, all of our praise, all of our joy will happen in the midst of crisis as well. In the midst of, David says, his enemies. Um, the idea that the church is... Um, a space, Augustine would say, a city. Uh, it has a life of its own that is being renewed by God, even as it's set in a world that looks like it's it's decaying. That's a very important insight for us to hold on to, uh, because with it is the promise that God will renew everything, the world included, every atom of of creation will will be left changed by Christ's return, um, and that and that's worth holding out for. I think opening the Psalter taking what it says at the Psalter seriously, what else would you steer us towards as we are late to this perma-crisis party but want to be grateful and trusting Jesus in the moment? There are many things we, we could say on this. I think one of the things, just to get, get back to the theme, is is the idea of gratitude. And you think about Romans 1 and the idea that in sin, um, humanity neither glorified God as God nor gave thanks to him. And it's so interesting that in talking about uh, structural patterns of sin like idolatry and talking about these kinds of big picture realities, God is not just talked about as the kind of the one who should be worshipped but isn't, but also the one who should be thanked and isn't. And there's a sense in which I think ingratitude, Paul would say, metastasizes into terrible sin. And the flip side of that is that one way to think about a healthy relationship with the Lord is that it's one that is permeated with gratitude. Uh, isn't it interesting that the Lord's Supper, the meal Jesus commands us to keep until his return, to do in memory of him and to receive from him, is known also as the, the Eucharist, which means the thanksgiving, because the moment at which the Lord celebrates it, he gives thanks, he takes the bread, gives thanks, all of that. So there's a sense in which thanksgiving ought to be um, the, the, the pivot around our Christian life, uh, around which our Christian life turns and this sense that actually to be grateful is to receive from the Lord trustingly uh, and to have his sustaining creative redeeming power at work and to be most open to it so I, I think that would be a, a a good start and one in keeping with the sort of Keswick theme that actually gratitude could be a discipline for us to embrace and I've mentioned that in a sort of churchy liturgical ecclesiological sense with the lord's supper but i think embedding it in your life could be such a, a blessing um, people who find ways to to thank god i had the privilege of going to ukraine quite a bit uh when i worked with uccf um every year for four years went for a couple of weeks got to know the most astoundingly godly people who were my colleagues in christian union work in ukraine one of the things i find amazing about the messages they're sending now is 
the degree to which they are thankful. People with everything to be bitter about, uh, furious about, and they are angry, rightly angry. They are facing an enemy whose opposition is unjust. So it's not wrong for them to be angry. But the gratitude is mind-blowing. And the, the ways they're sharing their openness to thank God for what they're experiencing is really humbling. So I think that could be another really helpful question to ask. Do you have a, a pattern of giving thanks in your prayer life? Do you have a pattern of thanks um, for, I guess, some of your friendships and church family relationships? Uh, when you get together with with Christians to talk about the things that matter, is giving thanks part of that? Um, because if it isn't, that could be a sign of a growing ingratitude, which, as I think Paul would put it, can metastasize into something far, far worse. Um, gratitude can be the thing that really changes things. And I think in a perma-crisis, one of our instincts is to sort of put praise on hold, put thanksgiving on hold, say those are the good time things. We'll get to them when we're back to the good times. Now let's just, you know, lament and rage or whatever. Uh, but there's a sense in which actually, that's why I say open the Psalter, both of those things are going on together. And the dynamic of gratitude is meant to be ceaseless. Um, you know, not for nothing, Paul will say, give thanks in every circumstance. It's a, it's a good word. It's a challenge. Are we more British than Christian or are we more Christian than British? If British can often get a rap for being perhaps better at moaning than we might like to be um, on a global scale, let alone on a Christian scale. Yeah, no, quite. And I, th I think, you know, the gift of Britishness, I suppose, is that it would rescue us from a fake kind of Thanksgiving. That sense of like, everything's great. Well, that's not what we're talking about. But it is possible to say everything is terrible and God is faithful. Thank you. Everything is terrible. And today I know his love. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, we're talking about past battles. I think a current battle for us as a family in a very big way. And I have asked whether I can share this she's okay with it my wife experienced a terrible car accident which left her physically unscathed but struggling with very real ptsd and actually for her a pattern of thanksgiving was really difficult to come by particularly in the immediate aftermath and yes i think she found it really empowering when she started um when, when she when she gave herself to giving thanks to god when she when she made space for that in her prayers and I, I saw what a change it made for her, um, not just at a sort of attitude level. Oh, it, it changed her kind of the way she acted, but but just even in terms of sort of spiritually, what a what a gift it was to be able to start giving thanks. So much there. Wow. And thank you to Niv and to Glyn. Depending on what week of the Keswick Convention you go, you may catch them in person this summer. But Jam, what did you make of that? Oh, that was really interesting, Rachel. Thanks for that. And it's really helpful to think back to our former struggles because we're just so stuck in the moment and we're sort of bombarded with texts and messages and tweets and breaking news. We just find it so hard to shake all that off and think back to how we used to live to like past battles, struggles and challenges. Mm. And the way we feel about them now is almost certainly different to how we felt at the time. And not to learn from that kind of feels like letting some low-hanging fruit go rotten on the tree, don't you think? Mm. Absolutely. Well said. I mean, looking back at my own past battles, 
I feel like I've really been shielded from suffering and bereavement uh, so far. But I look back at forks in the road in my career and things that really could have gone the other way. Mm. And they could have really made me potentially much more successful or richer or who knows what or influential. But looking back, I can see that I actually wasn't ready mm. for that step. There's one particular in my 20s where I, ju- I know I wasn't ready. And so at the time, it was hard to deal with. Um, but I can see now God's hand at work. I can see his kindness and I can give thanks for that. Mm. And I, you know, so, so now I can see my own struggles and setbacks in that light. And I can give thanks for that too, which is what we're all about this season. Mm-hmm. How about you, Rachel? I've been deeply struck by so many things. For one, I think I should definitely read or listen to Augustine's Confessions. I mean, everything's a challenge. It's the Christian life. But I was particularly struck by that a phrase, I think Niv mentioned it twice, that ingratitude metastasizes into terrible sin. And just that I know we're doing this on gratefulness and there's nice, hey, you know, positive, let's be thankful. But actually, the reverse is just so chilling. And to think if I really do have a pattern of giving thanks and whether I only lament when things are hard or if I do still practice gratefulness. I would just love to embody what Niv said about having a relationship with God that is genuinely permeated with thanks. You know what? I reckon this is one episode that might be worth listening to with either a spouse or a prayer partner. Why not send it to someone you can talk about these things with and reflect on how God was at work in past battles? Give thanks for that Mm. and then have a think about how that affects your current battles at the moment. What do you reckon? Is that a good idea? I think that's genuinely such a good idea. Life moves fast, but it's good to take time over the important things, not just the urgent things. I know that's an old chestnut, but I've had my nose firmly in this material for weeks and I honestly believe God's used it in my own life. I know it's easy to inhale a podcast and then you're on to the next thing, but consider yourself invited to go slow with this one. Talk it through, pray it through with a friend. Great stuff. What have we got next time, Rachel? We are back wonderfully with more from Glenn Harrison and also Karen Sewell. She also will be at the Keswick Convention and she's a women's worker from Trinity Church in Lancaster. And we'll be talking about being grateful for identity in Christ. Love it. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.